Welcome to Growing Up Fire with Jamie Coots. Seahawk, it is our commitment to you that you have complete access to the top professionals, industry experts, and products for your fire service. We stand by the service and products we provide. We are proud of our past and we are constantly listening to our customers and exploring new ways to bring better options to the fire service. This is Seahawk. High level, safety, service, security. Please visit our website at www.seahawkservice.ca or give us a call at 1-888-791-4210. Welcome to Growing Up Fire, Season 3, Episode 16. Uh, I'm just going to rock out a solo episode right now. You know, I got home from work, sitting in the basement. I was like, man, I got to get one done. And uh, the thing that I really thought about was the deployments. I really haven't told anyone the story about the deployments or what's going on or any of that stuff. There's just so many stories to tell. It's kind of crazy. It's funny. You know, so it's like start of August, right? And um, I'm just talking about spring now. It kind of shows you how the season went and the summer went. But before we get too much into that, I want to kind of talk about today and and why today was so special and made me think about all the teamwork and all the things. You know, I had a couple crew meetings today at work and and it was just amazing to me as we were going over all the projects we're working on, the multi-million dollar capital projects and, you know, the little things like just organizing the janitor rooms and uh, central storage and then things like the health and safety and, and mental wellness program and, and all of the things that people are working on. And as I kind of went through these two groups of firefighters, two different shifts over shift change, it just reminded me how like amazing the fire service is and how lucky we are to have these jobs. I say it all the time and and I mean, I really do mean it. It's It's so much better than a real job, right? And then I started thinking about how like the pride of the service and the professionalism that we all show is such a force multiplier. It's just like you have this job that you love and you do anything for it and for the people that you protect and the people that you fight with. And it's just such an amazing force multiplier. We do so many things with so few people and it's just crazy. So as I was thinking about that and I was talking with all these crews and we were just you know talking about the last 16 months and all the things we've been through. And uh, I was like, man, you know, I, when I get home tonight, I got to talk a little bit about that, right? And and start to, you know, share those feelings and those thoughts with all the people that have supported us through all of this stuff. And and so the 2023 deployments were insane. And as I'm doing this and recording this, there's just so many fires still going on, right? BC still getting their ticket punched. And, you know, Ontario and Quebec did earlier. Alberta did early in the spring. Nova Scotia, you know, all my friends in Nova Scotia and all that they've been through, right? The The biggest fire that they've had there in decades and, you know, the flood that just you know, wiped out so much. And then the follow-up flood a week later and all the things that happened there. And, and uh, you know, I've been thinking and, you know, I got to get out there and capture all those stories and talk to all those people. And I've been checking in on everyone, but it's been a year. So far, 2023 has been a year. One of those things for the record books. And as I was going through the deployments and thinking about it, talking about it, I started to think about how many times I heard, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that fire behavior before. I've never seen that many sparks come off a tree before. I've never seen it burn through the night like that before. I've never seen a fire spread like that. I've never seen it move like that. I've never seen evacuations go like that. I've never seen so many evacuations spread over so much. And it made me think about all those times that uh, we've talked about, like the 100-year flood or the 100-year fires. And it's crazy. Like when you, all you hear year after year, time after time is I've never seen that before, or we set a new record or someone thinks that's a new record. At what point do we really get nervous and really get shocked about how often this stuff happens? It's not a one in 100 year flood anymore. If it happens every three years, it's not a one in 100 year fire if we're getting it every decade. So when it starts to happen every week, every day. I think, uh, I don't love to talk about climate change because it just, to me, there's so many things to fight about. And, you know, is it just another one of those things that they're taking us down a rabbit hole? But no matter how you feel about any of it, 
we'd be crazy to think that we're not in a very changing weather cycle. And the weather does cycle, right? I can remember times as a kid where we'd go up to the second story roof and jump off into snow banks, 10 feet of snow, and nothing would happen to us, right? I could remember, you know, other times at Christmas where it was brown grass. If we went up to the roof and jumped, we'd be jumping onto the grass. And so, you know, you start to look at these weather patterns and I start, I've, I've talked about wildfire so much this year on so many different mediums and with so many different people that it's hard to wrap your head around how bad it's gotten in the last decade, you know, 10, 12 years. And uh, we really got to start to think, man, like what, how do we fix this? How do we get ahead of this? How do we figure it out? And, uh, you know, in true government fashion, it's always just be reactive, throw money at it, millions and millions. And, but, you know, when do we start being proactive? When do we start spending millions of dollars before we have to start spending hundreds of millions of dollars? And so for me, it's so tricky, right? And people are like, oh, yeah, you know, we could do this, we could do that. We could, like, man, we got to get together and figure it out. We got to sit down and, you know, we always talk about ego, turf, time, and money. And this year was just absolutely one of those things where I can't tell you how many times I thought, man, if we could just put down some egos and some turf wars here and just get the thing done. But, uh, there, I mean, there's so many inefficiencies and so many problems. I don't think the money is the problem, you know, and, and time, people are willing to put it in, but it's the other ones, right? And to me, it was a, it's really hard to talk about that because this season of all seasons, I have to tell you, like, I saw the best of the best in people. I saw people do things that people should never have to do. I saw people live through and fight through things that people should never, ever have to live through and fight through. You know, I could look through my messages and, you know, even though Nova Scotia is a five and a half hour flight away from me, you know, that's my family over there. And you're watching the messages and you're looking at the real time data. It's just amazing what's happening over there, right? At home in Alberta during the fires, it was unbelievable. A dry lightning storm goes through, and then two days later, the entire northern part of the province is on fire, coast to coast, top to bottom. It was just one of those things that's incredible. I mean, May's May, right? Spring, spring. Look at the calendar. Don't look at the calendar. Look at the weather. It was horrible. It was the first time in three years that I had to pull out all my wildland stuff and make an accounting of all my gear. And I put it in my truck, you know, I live in the South now, there's no real forest fires going on. And I still put my stuff in the truck and I thought, you know, it's something's going to happen. I'm going to have to go somewhere. I'm going to have to help out. It was insane. And so I was getting ready to go up visit my son in Slave Lake. Uh, finally had a weekend off and had my stuff in the truck. And that morning I'd stopped in to see my boss and I was like, you know, boss, we, you know, Alberta's in trouble. You can see all these fires and it's spreading. It's getting worse and worse. And it's, what do you think, right? And he says, hey, we'll do what we can do, right? We're a small fire department. We're a small city. You know, send the people that we can send. And, you know, we're behind you. We're behind the crews that go. We're behind the people that have to stay in cover. You know, we're behind you as the leader. And so let's do what we have to do to help. You know, to me, I thought, you know, there's a guy just taking a leap of faith, right? He's not from wildfire country. He, you know, he doesn't uh, think in the same terms as the people in the North. And yet he just knew it was one of those times where, you know, you're going to have to let go of the reins and let people go and do what they had to do. And so to me, that was always, that was so cool, right? It, it was cool that uh, he could see what was going on and he could see that he had to be behind us and help us out. And, you know, that kind of support was incredible. So you know, I, I said, okay, I'm going to go up and see my son, right? It was kind of crazy because it was like, you know, I got my stuff. Maybe I can do some stuff. Maybe I can't. I'll, you know, I'll do some work with the company instead and uh, just get up there for the weekend. And so just before I was leaving, we got a call asking the city if they could send some guys too. So the Chestmere guys were trying to figure out if they could get some people together and where they could go. And we, you know, we, we don't have a big firefighting force. We don't have a bunch of trucks. Um, we have seven trucks in the whole fleet, 24 firefighters in the whole group. And so, you know, just trying to figure out what we could do and still cover our own was incredible. But uh we wanted to make sure that was done. We knew that other communities around us were trying to rally and get some people together. You know, phoned up our neighbors in Strathmore and said, 
hey, you know, can we juggle some trucks around? Can we share some people? Can we work together and try to get some stuff on the road? And they were amazing and they were able to do that. So, you know, they're doing that in the city while I'm headed up to Slave Lake. And on the way up to Slave Lake is, you know, I'm your friends are messaging you and people are phoning you. And I was talking on my Bluetooth. I mean, it's almost the whole way, probably four hours out of six. And, uh, you know, just trying to make my way up there and, and everyone was busy. Right. So during that day, my son got called away and he's helping with his fire department. And, you know, it was just like, man, what am I going to do? Where am I going to stay? So I called up, uh, Alex, the chief there and slave and said, Hey, you know, you still got room for me or what? And so uh, I was able to score one of the last rooms that they had available because they had guys coming up to help them from all over the place as well. So I, you know, I was just so pumped. Uh, been talking all day, you know, who needs help? Where could I go? What am I doing? So finally, I don't know what time I got to bed, maybe around midnight or something. And uh, 1.30 in the morning, my phone rings and it's my son. And he says, you know, can you be at Big Lakes first thing in the morning? And so I was like, yeah, sure. What? It's all good, right? I'll get up at six and uh, get my stuff together and head over there and, you know, we'll figure it out, right? No real details. It's, you have to imagine it's just chaos everywhere. So We've got to go where we got to go, right? And so, of course, you don't sleep very good because you'd rather just get going. But you also know that everyone else is out there working all night. So if you don't get a little sleep, you don't know when you're going to get some. And it's better to go there and, you know, have three or four hours of sleep than to go there with none. And so, you know, tried to put some sleep in. For me, some of the worry is, you know, like my wife is not there and she's been worrying about me for 33 years straight now, where I'm going to go and what I'm doing and what kind of chaos I'm in and how much danger I'm in. And, you know, some of it is worrying about the crews that are out there and what they're doing and, you know, where are the Chestermere guys, they were still driving. They didn't get to where they were going until after midnight, which is why I was getting to bed so late. And so there's all these things to think about and worry about, right? For those of you that do this job, you know what I'm talking about. For those of you that uh, follow along with us and, and think, oh man, that's crazy. It's very intense. It's very stressful to worry about everyone else when you're not in the fight, right? When you're in the fight, there's less time to worry about it. You're kind of worried about the immediate people around you and the people that you're in charge of. And you don't have like free time to worry about everything else in the world. So Next morning, got up early, uh, you know, did my thing, grabbed my ice cap <laughs> and uh, had a breakfast sandwich because you don't know when you're going to eat next and just headed over to High Prairie. Honestly, when I got there, you know, you're trying to phone, they say, just come down this highway and, you know, just go here, just go there. And you, and you could tell it's blowing up and people don't have time to talk to you. So I pull up on the highway just south of High Prairie out in Big Lakes County and uh, I pull up like just at the perfect time. And meet up the deputy chief from Big Lakes County. And I was like, hey, Lucy, you know what's going on? She's like, the fire's just coming in. And, you know, it, it's that first time where people are going to see houses impacted and the big forest fires right into the urban interface. And, and uh, you know, they just start doing what everyone else in that situation, including me, has ever done the first time you do it, right? They're running around, pulling hose. What do we do? Spray here, spray there. And everybody's running around and and it's one of those times, those rare, rare times where you're like, you know what? I've been in this situation where these other people haven't. They have the skills, they have the knowledge, they have the brains for it, they have the strength for it, but they just haven't been in this situation before. And so it was that, you know, those times where you're happy to get there just at the wrong time, I guess, or the right time. And uh, it can bring a little calmness to it, right? Everyone stop running around. Here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan. This is where the hose goes. This is where the truck goes, right? The forest resources start to pull up, right? So the guy offloads his caterpillar, his bulldozer. Where am I supposed to go? It's his first fire. So we're trying to work with him and get him to be less scared and do some of the work that we need to get done. And then you start to run into some people with some more experience, right? Some wildland experiences, well, what if, what if we did this and can we do that? And it's all of these, you know, you hear on the radio and you see it happening in, in real time and people are just fighting these small fronts. Fire's coming in like fingers. It's impacting buildings. It's impacting equipment, trucks, vehicles, us. There's smoke everywhere. There's fire everywhere. It's, you know, that time where you got to remind everyone. It's not, you know, the road is a safe place. This big open field is a safe place. We're going to spray water where we got to spray water. We're going to evacuate who we have to evacuate. And we're going to save what we can save, but we can't save everything. And it's nice to be kind of that calming force when you're doing all this work. And, you know, you get to be the one that's been through it before 
and gets to calm everyone else down and make sure everyone else stays safe. You know, I got to hand out some PPE so that people had the right PPE. I got to, you know, kind of work, you know, the Lucy was the boss and I wanted her to be the boss. So it's kind of like you're mentoring her quickly and showing her some stuff and talking about some stuff so that she can pass on those orders and continue to be the boss because you know, it's going to be one of those days where we're going to learn a bunch. And then the next time or the next day, or whenever she's going to get to take everything she's learned from me and pass it on to some more people. And those people are going to get to pass it on. And, and so it was just one of those things where, you know, to roll in right in the middle of chaos, I got to tell you as a fire guy, you just think what perfect timing you had. You're just so lucky to get there. If I would have got there, you know, 20 minutes later, they would have been right in the middle of it and they just wouldn't have had that chance to do any mentoring, right? So just uh, got in there, perfect time, lucky time, and uh, just got to go in there and, and help out where I could. And so I uh, got to jump in. So I just arrived in a pickup, right? So I got to jump in. We had a couple of fire trucks, you know, a bunch of people pumping. We had some kind of ex-firefighters that had some wildland time. So they're there, some current firefighters, then the contractors, right? The guy in the water truck, the the guy with the bulldozer and the truck driver that worked with him, right? Who was a champion. He just got out and went right to work and helped us in so many ways. And then everyone's trying to talk to you on the phone, right? So your phone's ringing a hundred times because they find out you're there. We're trying to sort out through the smoke and the fire, you know, the chaos of where's the fire going and what's it doing and how many buildings are on fire, how many are threatened. And uh, so we're just, we're right into it. So it uh, was great to get there and support that and, and help that out. And those, I think, are the times where you're seeing the best of the best of people. It's just, uh, you know, the ex-firefighters that come back and they're helping out the contractor that's just trying to make a living with their truck. And all of a sudden they're in the middle of this massive firefight and they're just trying to learn and figure it out and move forward. And then sadly, you know, it's some of those same times is where you're seeing the worst of worst of the humanity, right? The people that are swearing at you as they're evacuating, the people that won't evacuate and cause grief for everyone that stays, the, you know, the people that think their property is number one priority, no matter what in the world. So if you don't believe what they believe, you're in trouble. And so, I mean, to me, the best of the best coming out in people is always overpowers and outweighs the worst of the worst. But you know, all this stuff's going on and it, it's not because they're bad people. It's because they're scared. It's because they don't, uh, you know, want to lose their stuff. And, and I get all that. I truly do. And you kind of let it roll off your back. The more of these things you go to, the more you realize that they're not talking to me, Jamie Coots as a bad guy. They're talking to the firefighter standing in front of them and trying to get done what they want to get done, right? People often say to me, like, if you're a good person in these situations, you stay a good person. You know, if you're a bit of an asshole, you're probably going to just keep being an asshole. And if you're neutral, these events can scare you, you know, one direction or the other, but typically in a more negative thing. And, it, and it's funny because, you know, when you go to these events where you know people, that stuff is so true, right? Like, the people that are just great people are always great people and they suffer through this and they help out and they, they do the best they can. And and the people that spend their whole lives yelling and screaming can't ever figure out that this is a bad time to be yelling and screaming and, and just go at it. So anyways, just those are, you know, my thoughts on that. It, it was uh, this particular one. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world. I was happy to be there helping out my friends and working with you know, some friends and some strangers. And, you know, these fires are always like that. You get to meet and see people that you've been friends with for 30 years in your career. And you get to meet new friends that you'll be friends with now for the rest of your life. Right. And so some of these crazy things just uh, bring on those friendships, bring on those things that we get to do. So arrived in that chaos, got to help with that for a bit, made some phone calls, got some more trucks coming out of Slave Lake and, uh, so we just kind of fought those fires. And then from there, it's like, where, how far did it go? So um, took off and tried to figure out, help them figure out how far it went and, and what was going on. And then we'd kind of heard that the East Prairie Métis settlement was having some trouble. They'd lost some structures and there was no real resources out there. So hooked up with some Slave Lake folks and, and buzzed out to East Prairie Métis settlement. And I got to tell you, out of all the places I went, this is the place that I just saw so many amazing things happen. I got to see people that were just 
they were so terrified, sad, mad, angry, happy to see us. All of these emotions were coming out at all the times, right? They'd had some help, I guess, through the night. But then, you know, day comes and people get redeployed and everything gets reprioritized. And again, so everyone thinks theirs is the top priority. So it's hard on the people trying to decide. And so they were just so happy that we were back in the community starting to help out with things. Ran into, uh, you know, someone I've known for my entire career, Mike from Forestry out in the bush there. And so he's with just, you know, with his hack crew and they're trying to do what they can do with a pickup truck and 200 gallons of water and a pump. And uh, the Slave Lake trucks, there was a couple of them, a small tender and uh, engine came out. And so, you know, we were all just working together, trying to do some stuff. And I got to tell you, you know, we were kind of by ourselves doing stuff for maybe an hour or so. And then all of a sudden, truck shows up with a bulldozer on it and a bunch of firefighters showed up with their fire truck from the community. And it's, you know, it's like this 40-year-old truck and uh, people that don't have a lot of fires, but they're just like dedicated to the program, right? They just want to help out. And and so we go over and we're like quickly talking to a couple of the counselors that were there and trying to figure out, you know, where is the fire and what's going on? And uh, someone pulls in and said, there's a house going to burn down right across the street, you know, just down the highway. And so we go over there and they unload the cats and we have the trucks and we're getting ready to do a back burn. And, and I remember these guys, they were just like, they're, they're all over it, right? They're going to do whatever we say. And, but they're like, we don't really understand what a cat guard is. We don't really know what you mean when you say a back burn. We'll do anything you tell us to do to try and save our houses, but we don't exactly know what you're talking about. And so uh, we had this great cat skinner there. And so we told him, you know, just take it down to mineral soil, go here, tie it in there. We're going to burn from there and push it back and we'll tie into this creek. And I mean, they learned so fast because we kind of went from that to them building their own cat guards within the next like hour and a half. And they're running around building cat guards and doing a good thing. And they had their fire truck and they're fighting fires. I mean, they saved a ton of houses while we were out there. We were able to pitch in where we could here and there and everywhere. And uh, again, I mean, they're, they're upset, right? They're not getting the level of resources that other places are getting. They're happy to have us and they treated us amazingly. But uh, of course, everyone wishes they could have more. And at a time when every community in Northern Alberta is asking for help, it's hard to come by. So, you know, we just fought where we could fight and did what we could do. Sadly, we lost some battles and people lost their homes, but many more we won and, and were able to push it forward. It's the same old thing, right? The abandoned vehicles going up, the pets running around all over the place. You know, people just let their pets out so they wouldn't burn and driving in places you shouldn't drive, right? You're driving down the highway and all of a sudden it's just like white out smoke and then it's black and then you're, you can just see fire and black smoke. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, now I can barely see the highway. What am I doing here? You can't turn around, but how do you keep going? You know, so many of those aha moments where you're just like, oh, what's going on? Right. And then you start to prioritize, like, you know, they can't lose the school. They just can't, right. They can't lose the water plant in this small community. There's things that uh, we got to save as many houses as we can and as much infrastructure as we can. And we just keep running into these guys all over the place, right? And every time you drive by this little wee church in this uh, settlement, there's someone there to give you a sandwich or a juice box or, you know, a couple of mini chocolate bars to keep you going and to, you know, just have a quick chat and cheer us on. So super happy that we got to go there and help out. Acres Emergency Vehicles, a message from our community. A person who is risking his or her life to save the lives and properties of others deserves something as reliable as an Acres emergency vehicle. This is our mission, to thank these people with the best gift we can, our best effort. Our commitment includes a firefighter-driven design, manufacturing integrity, personal and professional service. We are here to serve. We guarantee personal and professional service every step of the way. Acres emergency vehicles, built for a life of service. Please visit our website at www.acresev.ca. Later that afternoon, you could tell people were starting to power down. You know, a lot of them had been up now for 36 hours, 40 hours. And so I got a call to do something that I didn't know if I would ever get to do it again. And so for me, it was just like this epic, cool experience. They wanted 
myself and my son Ryan from Slave Lake to come over and take over the IC and IC2 roles in the Big Lakes County fire. And so we were able to go over there and, uh, you know, two fire chiefs and a deputy chief got to go home and get some much needed sleep after a kind of an epic 40 hours of firefighting. So we were working with firefighters from eight different fire departments. You know, there was like 24 of them and we're in all kinds of different apparatus and we're in from all kinds of different fire departments and uh, we've never worked together. We kind of all know of each other's towns and, and we know some of the firefighters because that's how it works in our business. But here we are in charge of, of this great big group of people. And we're working with some forestry people that we know really well, right? Uh, Megan from Bush Baby was up there with the Beast, great big tank truck that uh, we get to work with. And uh, we ran into a bunch of forestry folks we know. And so we're in this cool position where it's like, you have to take over. And I'm I'm just guessing here, but we're probably over about 20 kilometers of, of roads and space. We've lost some structures. There's still lots threatened. They've put in a drop deadline, right? If it passes this township road, we're going to evacuate all of High Prairie. So we're trying to hold it back from that. You know, we have like 15 minutes to kind of build a plan, rename all the crews, talk to everybody, decide what we're going to name everything. Not unusual for us. We've kind of, we've done it together in high level in Fort McMurray and a few places before that. And so, you know, we're able to pull it together and get it done. But here I am hanging out, you know, being the IC and the IC2 with my son. And, and I just, after I left Slave Lake, I didn't know if that would ever happen again. And so, you know, I had to take a minute to enjoy that. It wasn't easy because we're sitting by a, I guess I call it a junkyard, right? The place where they took all the abandoned cars and there's just like hundreds of cars on fire and you can hear all the gas tanks and propane popping and, and uh, obviously the owner's distraught about that and he knows that he's going to lose some shops and a house and, you know, it's just too dangerous to go in there. And this firefight is like over 20 kilometers in length. So we're trying to find out where our crews are and how to work with the forestry crews that are there and what, you know, you're all talking on two channels, right? It's too smoky to get any helicopters. So you can't get up and see what's going on. So everything's drive down here and drive down there and go here and go there. And you're almost, you know, you can't wait for night so you can actually just see the fire. And quit, you know, messing around trying to see through the smoke. So we set up these lines and we're working with everyone. And I have to tell you, it was probably the easiest IC transition that I've ever done in one of these big chaotic fires. Simply because there was just a bunch of true professionals around there. Everyone knew what their job was. Everyone knew what they could do, where they were in the area they were in. You know, we ran into some cats on this one road and we're like, okay, what group are you guys with? And they're like, nah, we just live down the road and our buddies are in trouble. So we just got our cats and our hoe out and we're just building a line through here. And we're like, okay, like for some people with no direction, you're, you're crushing it, right? Just go ahead and keep doing that. You know, you meet up with guys with tank trucks, just like, Hey, I'm not on the payroll anywhere, but you know, if I can help out, this is my neighborhood. What do you want? And it was just so cool to be working with all these people, you know, people you hadn't worked with in, in 10 years, get your number from someone phone up and be like, Hey, you know, long time, no talk. Uh, I'm out here helping out. You know, this is what I'm doing. What do you, what do you need? What do you want? Right. And then other people in roles that you're not used to, but you know, they're out there crushing it. So you just work with them and figure it out. It was just one of those crazy, crazy times. As night fell, it got a little easier to actually see where the fires were. We could action a bunch of that. And so honestly, till like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, we're just, uh, you know, we need task force one over here. We need task force two over there. We need task force three over there. We had these two guys that were filling up all of our tank trucks they're just sitting there rocking it. They never asked for anything. No, you know, never bugged anyone. Just every truck that showed up, they're using it. The people that own the dugout, they're just happy that people are using the water. And they're like, don't worry about it. There'll be some ruts in the grass. We can fix that, right? Just do what you got to do. And you're going to all these places and just, uh, it was so dry and so windy and so crazy. It just, uh, I don't want to say I'd never seen it because that, that wouldn't be fair. It's obviously Slave Lake and Fort McMurray had some of those same type of events. But, you know, it was just, it was such a sneaky little fire with fingers all over the place and following the different kinds of trees and brush. And and uh, to me, it was just, uh, 
it was crazy. It was good to kind of see my son come of age, I guess. You know, he's, I let him be the IC and I was his IC too. I don't know if I let him, maybe that's not the right word. Maybe he decided he was going to do it and I just went with it. But at the end of the day, he was the boss and I was backing him up and uh, to just see him crush it, you know, over and over was a, a proud dad moment, a growing up fire moment, right? Uh, all of our things that we talk about, hashtag always learning, hashtag always training. And, you know, what happened over the last three years while I haven't been working with him is, you know, he's, uh, there's no shadow to work under. He just became his own firefighter, became his own officer. And it was fun to watch how people reacted to that. It also made me a little bit happy because, I'm getting older, right? And I can see the end. I'm a lot closer to the end than I am the start. And, you know, these new groups of firefighters, I met so many from all over the place that the up and comers, the new officers, and I'm happy to say that I'm ready to take a seat, you know, and uh, let it happen. It was good to do it. You know, I'm 50 now, so I don't handle the nights like I used to. And I got to tell you, by like four o'clock in the morning, I was like, you know, we got, uh, we'll take turns with the task force doing some roaming patrols. And other than that, I think everybody just better take a chance to grab a half hour sleep here, an hour sleep there. And I just forgot how great it is to grab an hour of sleep, even uh, at four o'clock in the morning, sitting in the front of a pickup truck. So from there, you know, it was great. The, the lights came back up. And so, of course, you're into a different kind of firefight in the daylight again. Now, the night had backed the fire down a bit. So we were able to get into some places and, you know, just some massive, like epic, long hose lays to fight some fires that you knew were going to be trouble later. And again, like the people start to sneak back in, right? And everyone that has a fire by their house wants you at their house immediately. You know, we only had four task force, so that's all we can deploy. And, uh, you know, you're out there using a piss pack and stomping with your boots. And it was so great to be out there helping again, you know, helping Alberta, helping the folks at Big Lakes County and East Prairie. And the lack of sleep didn't even bother me. So kind of that day headed back out to East Prairie and helped out a little bit there. You can kind of see a, pattern developing here, right? I, I was really feeling bad for those folks and I wanted to get resources out there whenever I could. So every time there was a little bit of a lull in the battle, we raced back out there and, and tried to always leave a truck or two out there to help out. So later in that day, of course, you're getting to the end, right? I'm going to have to go home. So headed back to Slave. Like I said, I had one of the last rooms, so it was nice. And a uh, bit of a miscommunication. I was supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there, right? So finally, it turned out that they could use my help in the county of Grand Prairie. And so I was happy to leave uh, Big Lakes County in the very capable hands of the High Prairie Fire Chief and the Big Lakes County Chief and Deputy. And the Slave Lake people were helping them out. And so I said, yeah, okay, no problem. I'm off to the county of Grand Prairie. And of course, as soon as I get there, the two ICs that are doing days and nights, uh, good friends of mine that I've worked with on many, many other occasions are sitting there. And so, you know, you get to walk in and there's Daryl and Dan and everyone's checking on you and how's it going and, you know, happy you're here. Thanks for helping. And, and so the thing about the County of Grand Prairie that was special to me, I think, was seeing a bunch of people I know and helping them out with something that's going on in their communities. And my niece was evacuated from that one. And that's the same niece that in 2011 lost her house in the Slave Lake wildfire. And so, of course, she's distraught and upset. And, you know, is my house going to burn down? And did my house already burn down? And there's nothing released. And and so you just get in there and be like, okay, let's, you know, I'm, I don't know where she lives. I hadn't been there even yet. So, you know, we'll just try to make sure that we support these folks and make sure, you know, no more houses burn down and doesn't spread. And we help kind of sort it out. And I uh, got to see her a couple times at different times in the family, you know, just kind of reassure them that things were going to be figured out, you know, but they're living in two hotel rooms with, you know, the mom, the dad, three girls and a, two dogs and a cat and a, you know how it goes. Right. And it's just like, man, I can't imagine to be so unlucky to be in two of these massive things at a time. So good news. Her house did not burn down. You know, bad news, it's you still got to go through everything that you have to go through, right? The worry, the fear, the living, reliving the 2011 fire and losing everything that uh, she had. And so, you know, that's always a big sad piece for me to watch them deal with that stuff, to watch the kids struggle, right? At first, it's like, well, you know, it's kind of exciting. We left and it was smoky and we got to go to a hotel and, 
and then for the realization to come in that all of their stuff's at home and they they can't go home and and all of that stuff. So got to spend one day shift there trying to help set up some stuff and work with the folks and then two night shifts. And so, you know, night shifts are on these big events, a real special time to me. And when I say a special time, it's kind of in a weird way. You know, the fire's usually quieter. There's usually a smaller group of people on. The firefighters are doing their thing. So I was, you know, at the command post and you're catching up with old friends and you're making sure the next day's plan goes okay. And you're trying to sort through the mess of paperwork and chaos and and orders that came from the day shift. You know, for me, I've been through this so many times. I get all those questions, you know, what do we do next? What do you, you know, so you're, you're part teacher, part mentor, part as ops chief a couple nights, you know, trying to make sure things go okay. You're trying to make sure you reassure people that are doing a great job and help with the pieces that maybe aren't going as great, you know, which can be tricky, right? There's a lot of tough discussions on these fires, you know, and it's not like this person's right and that person's wrong. It's like, you know, is what we're doing working? Is there a better way to do it? Is there a different way to do it? You know, trying to settle out all the ego, turf, time and money battles, right? So you're trying to order things that are expensive and follow the rules that go with it and make sure you get the right sign-offs and authorities while also trying to make do with what you already have and trying to tell them, here's some new ideas that you should look at. You know, it was crazy there. The County of Grand Prairie hadn't really been through that before, so did a great job. I think they held it to four structures lost, so they did a great job, and they were trying to set up their systems, and, you know, they're, it's hard. When, when you've kind of only done it in practice and never really done it for real, it's tough, right? So got to work through some of that. We all stayed at the Grand Prairie College, which was kind of a cool experience. You know, you'd get home after your shift, and the nighttime people are all, you know, having breakfast and having a few stories and a laugh before you go to bed and the people that are up going to work all day, you know, they're doing the same thing. And so it's kind of weird to cross everybody all that time. eh? So it's just one of those experiences that uh, it was kind of cool. I'd been to Grand Prairie lots of times. I knew the area. It was, it was just cool to help out cool to catch up with everybody. I think that was the first fire where I actually got to do my first helicopter time. And so again, these fires always look so different from the air and it's so important for anyone that's doing any kind of operations to get in the air and see what's going on, right? It's not a tourist time. It's not a, I actually, for the record, hate flying in helicopters. So I ended up back in Slave Lake and I'm headed off to Rainbow Lake. Um, Never had the chance to do that. And so, you know, all the different fires, all the different opportunities, I always ended up in high level, but never Rainbow Lake. So I'm like, let's do it, right? So it's a long car trip. I think it was eight hours or something that day. And so uh, get all the way up to Rainbow Lake and I go to check in and uh, I walk into the trailer. And the first thing I walk into is Pam. She's sitting there working for forestry. She's from Slave Lake. Uh, lots of fires together, lots of time together. And so, you know, you get checked in, you're starting to talk to everybody and then you're over to see the IC who I'd been on tons of fires with. And he gets me up to date what's going on. And I walk outside to the parking lot and Kevin is there who now works for BC wildfire, but he's there in Alberta as an ignition specialist. So I get to catch up with him who he used to work in Slave Lake. And so, you know, it's just going to be one of these uh, events and one of these days where you kind of get to meet everybody and see everybody that you haven't seen in a long time, but you know that they're like stone cold professionals. Like they're all over this. They know exactly how this is going to go. You know them, they know you, they know you, you know, where to put you in the right spots. And so that was awesome. Uh, hooked up with Rodney and kind of went for a flight. So again, that's the whole, and my job was going to be to take care of the crews that were taking care of Chate. And so, you know, this is a, a cool little First Nation community about 25 kilometers outside of Rainbow. They got uh, wild horses running around. They got wild bison running around. You know, they've got uh, this cool school, man. Right in the middle of the community, it's just this amazing school that it's kind of like the the centerpiece of the community. Everybody hangs out there. Everybody, you know, this thing is to be protected at all costs. And so we get to fly over and it's like the fire 
fires like 10 kilometers away. There's a lot of fire behavior, you know, kind of Ob's County Grand Prairie never really saw much fire behavior. It was, you know, putting out a lot of hot spots and chasing it, but up by Rainbow Lake, there was a lot, a lot of uh, fire behavior. So got to see all that and then, you know, jump right in with the crews, right? So now again, you're working with people from Wabasca and Red Earth that I know really well. You know, you're working from some Wheatland County guys that I know. And so you're just, again, running into all these people that you know. We start working with that. We start to work it out and figure it out. And, you know, they've done a great job before I get there, right? I'm late to the game. So they've got some great systems up and running. So we kind of tweak some stuff, pull some hose back, figure out who's going to do what. And, you know, again, it's just kind of that you're training with everybody. You're doing some stuff, you know, you're making sure that everyone knows what to do and you're kind of mentoring the next group of people that comes up. Got to get up in the helicopter again, you know, to look at some trouble spots and, and do some stuff there. And then uh, that was going really good. So got to stay in this kind of camp setup. <laughs> it was really set up quickly. Um, hadn't slept in a camp set up like that in so many years. It was insane, you know, bedrooms with the Jack and Jill with the bathroom in between. And, you know, so many people that don't know how to run that. So there's those things and where are you going to get your food and how are you going to get your food? And so kind of that afternoon into the night, wake up the next day, spend all day with the crews trying to get everything ready. Just spent a great day that uh, had had a guy from Red Earth, uh, Josh, helping me there that kind of, he was just dialed in, man. He knew what to do and how to do it. And and so it was great to work with him and just let him do his thing, right? I'd do my thing, he'd do his thing. And then uh, kind of later in the afternoon, you get a call. Hey, can you go to Swan Hills? Now, now we're having trouble in Swan Hills. This Swan Hills has been evacuated. We don't have any structure protection specialists to send there. So we're wanting to know if we can steal you from there and send you somewhere else. So again, Josh had been doing a great job all day. So I was like, yeah, I have no, no qualms here. Josh can just completely take this over and I'll take off to, to Swan Hills. And so it's the whole conversation, right? Well, we'll fly you down there so you get there fast, but then I don't have a truck there. And where am I going to stay? Because the community's evacuated. So finally, I was like, you know what? I'll just drive back down to Slave Lake. I'll stay there overnight. I'll drive up to Swan Hills in the morning. So all in all, I got to tell you, I drove a lot. In 14 days, I drove 6,700 kilometers. I crossed the province a couple of times. And uh, you know what? It, it was just, uh, I was happy to do it, but it's just chaos, right? Trying to figure out where you're going to be next and, and how it's going. And it's fun to be a bit of a troubleshooter, but it's also a lot of work to kind of drive all over the place and do these crazy things, right? So get to Slave Lake stay there overnight, get up early in the morning. There was no room at the the fire hall in Slave Lake because there was a fire that had kind of blown up by Smith. So as much as I wanted to stay and help them deal with all the stuff in my old backyard with all my friends and my son and, and Alex fire chief there, I knew that they had it under control. They're professionals. And so um, took off to Swan Hills. And so it's just the chaos of all of those things kind of coming together. So I'm driving to Swan Hills in the morning and it's like 20 kilometers of highway that you can't see. And there's fire here and there and smoke everywhere. And you're doing what you got to do and you're getting where you got to get. But at the same time, it's just like, what's it going to be like when I get there? And so uh, pop out the other side and, uh, you know, it's like 10 kilometers, 14 kilometers of no smoke. And I pull in, right? And it's like, okay, what's it going to be like here? And I have to tell you that uh, my time as a consultant is some of the greatest times in my career. And Swan Hills was one of the communities that we got to work with when we were doing a big emergency management regional partnership. All of our customers just turn into such great friends and people that you call all the time and check on. And, and so I walk into this room and you could just see people relax, right? It's like, okay, finally a face of someone that we trust and we know, and you know, they're going to be on our side and they're going to help us. And for me, it was the exact, I must have had the exact same look on my face, but it was like, I finally got somewhere where, you know, people have full trust in me and I can really help these people, you know, immediately just got to work, working the forestry phones, working the, the radios, you know, see where they're at and what they got to do next. And there's 
some big contractors there. So there's some ego stuff to deal with and some turf battles. And, you know, you get that all sorted out. Then all of a sudden there's all these firefighters, right? Firefighters I know from Swan Hills and they're great. And firefighters that came over from Big Lakes County, if you can imagine, they've been fighting their own fire for weeks. And now they're over there trying to help out, you know, their neighbors. It was so cool. Such a cool experience. The IC was, Clint is a, just a beauty, right? One of those guys that, uh, you know, he just does such a great thing and just loves his little town so much and, and puts so much into it. Uh, you know, Ottawa's deputy, who was the ops chief, got to ride around with him for hours and just like history buff, right? So I'm learning the history of Swan Hills and the oil fields and while we're doing great things, right? And so we're able to do a lot of fire smart work and we were able to work with some structure protection people that, uh, you know, they're really good. And so, you know, we get to learn some stuff and we get to see some new systems you know some big water systems that i hadn't seen before or used before and so it was uh it was cool right and then every day i would just be in the emergency coordination center and just kind of helping everyone piece those things together right and again in my career i've just i've had this really fortunate or unfortunate career where i you know, I get to work wildfires and I get to work in emergency management and I get to work in incident command roles and I can speak all these languages and I can translate for people and figure it all out. And, you know, you're getting to work with some AMA folks that you never met before, Alberta Emergency Management Agency. And, and uh, you know, they're showing you things that you don't really know. And so you're adding, you know, I'm learning and I'm training and I'm being there and we're getting things done. And, you know, there's still, of course, there's ego problems and turf wars and, and money is an issue and time is an issue. And, you know, when will the fire be here and what's the wind doing? And it doesn't all go perfect, but I'll tell you, it was just one of those day after day. I was so happy to be there. I was kind of getting to the end of my time where I was going to have to get back to my other life and, and do my other jobs. And so, you know, got to spend three days there with a bunch of people. I mean, they treated us so good. They took care of us so well. They were like sponges, man. There's nothing that they didn't want to learn. They were just all over it. Um, and, you know, at the end, you get to this place and when you're under pressure like that and you're in the chaos, you learn so fast and so much. And it's so great that uh, you're just happy to be there with them. And so, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was incredible, right? Along the way, I can remember one phone call I got from the Chestermere folks. And I think that's when I was up in Rainbow Lake. And so they called and they just got to Peavine. You know, the fire was making a run and they don't have a lot of wildfire experience. And they'd send some other contractors that didn't have a lot of wildfire experience. And they were having, you know, a rough day, right? And so it's one of these phone calls where it's like, you know, yeah, it's crazy. I think we should get out of here. And I was like, you know, everyone calm down. Here's what's going to happen next. Here's what you got to look for. Here's the safe places, right? You're not going to, it's not like a movie. You're not going to die. The fire's not going to come a hundred feet tall and burn everyone to a crisp, right? There is places to be safe in a wildfire. So look for those. And there is people that know what they're doing there. So look for those. I was able to hook them up with Lauren, one of my forestry buddies that, I mean, guy's a gem, knows so much about forest firefighting and it's his community. So he's, you know, he's helping them out, was able to talk to AEMA and, and get a really good structure protection specialist sent over there from Grand Prairie. So, you know, he's going to be there in a couple hours to help them. And so it's just kind of one of those, nobody's going to die. Everybody calm down. Here's some things to do while you're waiting for some people to get there and tell you what to do. It was so cool to see how everybody kind of took that and said, yeah, okay, it's good, right? Like we've heard this guy, we're going to calm down and uh, we're going to make this work. I had so many of those conversations and so many cool things happened and I got to learn so much and I got to teach so much and I got to mentor so much and I got to be mentored so much by so many people. There's the, you know, the sad part, you know, the horrible part, the part that makes you angry that we lost a whole bunch of houses and structures again all over the place. Then there's the proud, exciting, happy parts that we saved so many structures all over the place. You know, to me, it's, it's just, uh, a really amazing, incredible thing to go on these deployments. And I tell people all the time, like you see people there and you're like, what are these people doing here? They have no business being here. They have no experience, but people are around them and they keep them safe. Right. And when you finish a 14 day deployment, a seven day deployment, you've learned so much and you've moved so far ahead in your career and you, 
you know, that back to that pride and professionalism, right? And what a force multiplier that is that, uh, you know, once you've been on deployment for seven days and then you stay for 14 and then you go home for a bit and you come back and you do another seven, another 14 and on and on and on. By the end of summer, you got, you know, some people that have now seen some crap, right? It's just that with these wildland urban interface fires, it's being in the right place at the wrong time, right? So there's lots of people that do the prep work. There's lots of people that, uh, oh, the fire came close, but then it turned. You know, there's lots of people that get to go out and do some cleanup behind and, and things like that. But there's very few people typically on these fires that get to be right at the right place at the right time to make a difference and save a house and and find out what it's like to be right where the fire's coming through and feel the heat and and make those decisions that uh, that change people's lives. And so this summer was one of those ones where a lot more people got added to that list. There's a lot more people that have been in that position now, which helps, right? Because now they know what to do and they know how to do it and they know when to do it and they know what's going to hurt people and they know what's not going to hurt people and they know what it's like when the fire hits and and it's not as terrifying. And so they can kind of turn into me and the people that are like me that have been in those places at those times. And so it was amazing to watch it all. You know, there's so many things that made me so happy and so proud and it was so unbelievable. And then there's still those pieces that make you so angry and so upset and so sad that we're still doing this and and that we've kind of normalized losing houses and that we're still fighting from behind, right? Where, you know, the thing goes on for too long before we get help and I don't know how to fix all that stuff. I don't have the perfect answers, right? I work together with people all the time trying to figure it out. And I think that we'll make more steps this year even. But uh, for me, 2023 has been a hell of a ride. I can't wait to get out there and, and talk to a bunch of people, you know, in Nova Scotia and Ontario and, and uh, BC and, and Alberta that, you know, have been going through all this stuff and other places too. And just uh, kind of help stitch together some of these stories for you. So Hope you enjoy this, uh, you know, hope that uh, season three, episode 16 passes the bar as far as what you could do. Uh, appreciate you as always. Uh, love having all the people reach out to me and talk to me. So at Chief Coots, uh, at Growing Up Fire, you know, reach out to us anytime, message, phone, all our digits are out there. Check us out at growingupfire.com. And, uh, you know, whatever we can do, whatever you want us to talk about, always just uh, proud to be part of it. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to Growing Up Fire today. Follow me on Instagram at Chief Coots to comment or send questions. We appreciate your support.